The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey everyone, Aisha here, and we are less than a month now out from our next live show for Represent at the Speak Up, Rise Up Festival. It's happening on August 16th at 7.30 p.m. at the Connolly Theater in NYC. Tickets are available on our show page, and we'll also have some awesome guests lined up for you. We can't wait to share them with you on our social media pages very soon. The following podcast contains explicit language. I'm really excited to meet the Velocity Posse. You girls are going to be kikiing all weekend. Okay, Liz. Yeah. And I say this out of love. Preach, girl. Mm. Please refrain from saying things like preach or go, girl, bye, Felicia, ratchet, or any other colloquialisms that you may have heard or looked up on Urban Dictionary. I'm not even offended. You're the best. (laughs) How goes it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Represent. I'm Aisha Harris, your host, and this week, showrunner Monica owusu Breen chats with me about her new show, Midnight Texas. It's a supernatural ensemble drama on NBC based on the book series by True Blood author Charlene Harris. But before we get into that, we're going to discuss my new favorite thing to rave about. Girls Trip! Woot woot! <laughs> So, Girls Trip opened big last weekend, taking in $30.4 million on a $19 million budget to take second place at the box office, and it received rave reviews and a really strong word of mouth. But if you're somehow still in the dark about this movie, we'll fix that for you real quick. So, Queen Latifah, Jada Pickett-Smith, Regina Hall, scene stealer Tiffany Haddish, Grapefruit... <laughs> That is about all we'll we'll spoil for now. We'll get into spoilers, because if you haven't seen it, then you should go see it and then listen to this. But it's a great movie. I loved it. There are so many dick jokes, so many cameos, lots of musical numbers. And I'm really pleased today to have joining me to discuss Girls Trip, Brittany Luce, uh, formerly of one of my favorite podcasts for Colored Nerds, now of The Nod, which just launched last week, right? Yes, we launched on Monday, July 17th. Coming out every Monday after that. All right. So everyone should check it out. I plan to check it out. I'm a little behind in my podcast. That's but I'm, right. I'm excited for it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This is like when you asked me to come here and talk about Girls Trip, I hadn't even seen it yet. I hadn't either. And I was just like, <laughs> yes, yes. Just something about, I just, something in it told me that this movie was going to be big. It's like kind of the perfect, it is it is the movie of my dreams. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just based off of listening to you on For Colored Nerds and just knowing a bit about you, that it was also sort of the movie of your dreams as well. <laughs> I, I, I like tweet about this, but I got 90 seconds into the movie. I don't even, I think it was like, it started off with like a montage of like how the Flossy Posse, the four main friends became friends. Right. At like FAMU, their HBCU. And I was just like, this is this is already the best movie that I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Like, it's perfect. 
Yes. So did it live up to your your expectations? It totally exceeded my expectations. Yeah. And and I I don't even know where to start. Why don't we start with the Flossy Posse? So we essentially have we have Dina Tiffany Haddish, who's Mm -hmm. like kind of she's the she is the wild one. Yeah, she's the crazy one. one. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the movie, she loses her job, but like doesn't even register that she's lost her job. That scene was beautiful. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then we also have Lisa, played by Jada Pickett Smith, Mm -hmm. who's a single mom who is very uptight and like not control freak. Yeah, very very like I guess if we're gonna do the whole Sex and the City comparison, like. Like she's kind of the the Charlotte, I yeah. feel, yeah, or like the um, living single, well, not Khadijah Sinclair. Sinclair, yes, she's uh, well, actually, maybe not Sinclair. She's somewhat like Sinclair. She doesn't quite have Sinclair's naivete, right? But she does have her like innocence, innocence, and like desire to keep the peace, that yeah, type of thing. Yeah, she's like the basically like the motherly one. I, I feel like even if like. Like, even if you took the kids out of the equation, like, all the references to kids, like, her behavior was still very mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm, you know, the den mother, everyone. Like, let's not fight. Let's just have a good time. Yes. She's really sweet. Yes. And Queen Latifah playing, basically, <laughs> Queen Latifah from Living Single, in a way. Like, also, in like, a, way. a, a, a journalist. Fallen from Grace, though. Fallen from Grace. Yes. She doesn't have uh, the flavor mag to fall back <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, and Regina Hall, of course, who I think is totally underrated in general, and it, it was nice to see her finally, like, so her character, Ryan, is actually sort of the center, the sort of linchpin yeah. of the entire Flossy Posse. She's the one who brings them together. She's the successful, um, sort of, I don't know, one of the, not in Yanla Van, Van Sant quite, but like, she's she's like a guru. Yeah, like a media relationship guru kind of I don't know if it's relationships that's uh, something about like women having it all like you can have it all is like her whole tagline right that's she kind of reminds you of, they call her what the a young Oprah yeah yeah. yeah yes they do call her a young Oprah so she's like a young Oprah and she's married to a football player mm-hmm. played by Mike Coulter who you'll know from of course Luke Cage yeah. and uh or former football player he's not a football player anymore and they're like on the cusp of getting this deal uh that'll through their marriage of like sort of like a Martha Stewart type of thing where mm-hmm. they'll have like a clothing line or whatever or a home mm-hmm. homemaker line for through like a fake Kmart. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I they had a name for it. It was something Mart. It was I don't so remember. good. It was like Home Mart or something. It was <laughs> yeah. so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But like that's the thing. Like that's the thing about this movie is that it hits all of like the the satire and the notes like really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. Why don't you what why don't you just tell me a little bit about like what your what your emotional journey was while watching this scene? Well, I I went to an HBCU. I went to Howard, and I it's funny because like I have a Howard like ladies group text. There's five of us, and like the personalities are totally different. Every like you know some of us have partners, some of us don't. Some of us have kids, some of us don't. Like you know everybody has a different career. We're kind of like all around the country, and you know I so I totally identified with the idea of like having a group of women that you that who knew you when do you know what i mean like even if you don't see them all the time like they knew a you like before you were formed in yes. a way and so like that bond and like that sisterhood like especially when that was forged in hbcu like it was so familiar to me and i went 
with um, one of the women from my Howard's, Howard Ladies group chat, who also is my roommate and one of my very best friends in the world. And we went together like on a, a, a Saturday afternoon. Like normally is not the popping show, like the 6.30 p.m. show. Mm-hmm. Um in, Wait, uh, which theater did you Court go to? Street. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if you, if, Court Street in Brooklyn. Court Street in Brooklyn is like the best theater to see any black film. Yeah. Basically, either that or Magic Johnson in Harlem. Literally. Exa- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I used to call it the Magic Johnson of the South. Court Street. <laughs> so we went there and like we actually had to go to the 630 because the 430 sold out like by 12 or 1 o'clock, which I was really happy about. It was a packed theater full of black women. Like it was so yes. packed. I was sitting right next to the. At, like the exit on the right hand side and like there was somebody you know they're like whatever like theater attendant was supposed to be there like making sure that you don't bring in outside food or whatever like I ate my outside food right in front of them like there were too <laughs> many people Popeyes? I didn't have Popeyes oh okay I got I, got, I had spinach pie <laughs> I had Ooh. spinach pie I know I'm trying you know healthy help, sort of, of. Well, there's spinach <laughs> spinach there's spinach present so it was so special to see that movie with her and then like afterward, I was supposed to like head out and like go somewhere. I was supposed to meet my boyfriend somewhere. And like I was trying not to be late. And Sheila's just like, we need to have a drink. She's like, we saw this. Mo- we saw this movie together. Like we need to have a drink and talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what? You're totally right. Like it was so exactly the sentiment of the film. Like life happens. Stuff goes on. But like your girls are who you have. Mm-hmm. And also like never be you like you really have to try not to be too busy to like make time to like continue to grow those relationships it was so it was just like it was like very meta my friend she said it was really meta but it was it was so meta it was like we've been i've been trying to plan like the five of us have been trying to plan some sort of girls trip for at some point in the next year but it's so hard like everybody's changing jobs Mm -hmm. and like you know and like you have school vacation for the kids and all that sort of stuff but we're gonna try like like after like some of us have seen it i think three or five of us have seen it now and we're like okay like after we now that we've seen this like we have to go to miami next year yeah it's just it's like seeing a bunch of black women fight like sisters Mm -hmm. love each other like sisters um you know and just have that sort of like you know that well you know, like they don't have to be blood related, like that fictive kinship um, that sometimes I didn't realize how much I missed it from the screen until I saw a girl's trip. And I was just like, and also, too, they were just they were like, they were just like, can you curse on this? Yes. OK, yeah, they're just fucking <laughs> hilarious. Like, yes. Like the scene where they peed all over the people. <laughs> the scene that went on for way too long. I love it. But in the best way. In the best way. Like that, that was the thing is that that struck me and I wrote about it in my review was just like. It wasn't just about the bonding because the bonding was great. And mm-hmm. we've seen that. Like we've we've had girlfriends. We have Insecure. We've mm-hmm. had Living Single, Waiting to Exhale, all of those great movies. But this is like we're seeing women, black women be fucking raunchy, yes. like pissing all over the place. Yes. Dick jokes, the freaking grapefruit. Oh, like, my God. And, and the thing about it was that it, it reminded me of each, especially the ones involving Tiffany Haddish, mm-hmm. each scene reminded me of like the outtakes you usually see at the yes. end of an Apatow movie except yes. they cut it in those movies but here they just let Tiffany go off oh my for gosh. like two minutes like the scene where so after so to get a little bit more into the plot the um the women find out that Ryan's 
husband, the athlete husband, has been cheating on her. And Sasha, Queen Latifah's character, who is a gossip columnist, uh, she gets a tip uh, from a photographer of Ryan's husband making out with another woman. Mm -hmm. And so when the women find out, which is like basically as soon as they land in New Orleans after they do a very huge dance number in the streets to Lovely Day. It's great. (laughs) So Uh, beautiful. So beautiful. So so when they find this out, then Dina, Tiffany's character, she like goes off for a good like two to three minutes about the things she's going to do to to her husband's dick because of like what he's doing for like goes on and on. I'm going to like put like I I don't even want to get into it. You just have to watch it. But like those types of moments, I was just like it it also reminded me a bit of like um, BET Comic View, Comic View, (laughs) which I was watching and shouldn't have been watching when I was in like (laughs) middle school, sneaking it at like 1130 at night when my parents were upstairs. Um, But like obviously without the bleeps, like we got Mm -hmm. all of it. And so I just loved seeing that and not being uh, like ashamed of it because I think that to some extent and I guess this is sort of a plug but as you know Brittany mm-hmm. I, I'm also on an episode this week of Pop Culture Happy Hour mm-hmm. talking about Girls Trip and <clears throat> Gene Demby got brought up a good point uh, of NPR's Code Switch he brought up the point that you know there's something about Tiffany's character that I think 10 years ago would have been offensive some people would consider offensive yes. she's very loud she's very ghetto that's such a good point point. and but like he he made the good point that you know I think in a way reality TV and like characters like I Love New York and Real Housewives have sort of made it a little bit more okay for us to uh, sort of to to accept someone like Tiffany mm-hmm. and I, I I can buy I can see that point. Like I, I she is like I think that she is sort of what Regina Hall's character in Scary Movie yes. is, except like well, first of all, it's way better written because it's not written by the Wayans. I love the Wayans, but <laughs> no, but yeah, this is you better. know this is, um, this is way better written. And it, I don't know, it, there's just something about it. Like it, it also just feels like it's it is Tiffany. Like it's her. Mm-hmm. You know, she was so like. I remember, I can't remember the name of this movie, but there was almost, I think it was called Almost Christmas, which was like a black holiday movie that came out last winter. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, I don't think so. I think, honestly. Who was in it? Um, Monique, Danny Glover, oh, Gabrielle Union. You know, oh my God, I did see it. Okay, yeah. I, <laughs> my, I, my boyfriend Ari and I watched it because we were like, I'm in the, we were like, we're in the mood for a black movie and yep, it's the holidays. Yep, and so exactly. we watched it and I was like, this is so predictable that I also really enjoyed it. Right. I thought, I like, I loved it. It was, it was totally fun. But I remember watching Monique's performance and just seeing how, when you really see a person who has like comedic talent at that level, just let loose and just riff. I mean, it's as good as watching you know, it's as good as watching like Miles Davis improvise. Like, it's just incredible to see somebody with that skill level just be given the room to just do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that movie and be like, okay, this is a pretty predictable movie. But I was like, Monique, though, she was just like oddly so good in it. Mm-hmm. And then I remember reading like, there's some super short review in the New York Times. I don't remember who reviewed it, but he was just like, I think he was a white guy. And he was just like, you know, if the world were different, Monique would have gotten an Oscar nomination for her comedic performance, comedic performance in this movie. And I was just like, yo, I had the same thought. Like, I mean, there's a whole issue with like in general, like comedic and dramatic performances not being weighted the same right. when it comes to Academy Awards conversations. But Tiffany Haddish in Girls Trip to me, 
Academy Award level comedic performance. There are already rumblings of that. I I, and hope. I, <clears throat> we'll we'll see. I I really hope so too. It's funny. So I unfortunately did not have the same experience as you did, and and being being able to like go to the movies with my girlfriends. Like I went to. A, it was like it was a screening. It wasn't a mm. all press screening. Thankfully, mm-hmm. like. A lot of like probably most of the audience was actually like, you know, people who are able to who get it through like the cut like NYU or whatever, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just regular lay folk who are not the press. Uh, But I was sitting next to this old white guy (laughs) and (laughs) uh, the the story is not it's not going to be as bad as it sounds. Uh, So he at one point. okay so here's here's the first thing that happened. And I also wasn't drunk. Unfortunately, I wish I (laughs) wish I had like pre-gamed. But I was like, I also had to write a review. So I had to pay attention. Yeah. So I get. Uh, we get to the point where Kofi Sirabo's character came on, and of course, he's the beautiful Ralph Angel from Queen Sugar. <laughs> wow, he's gorgeous. The audience friggin' erupted yes. like, wow, and like, mm, like this, like <laughs> guttural. And so the white guy, he, he, he like uh, goes next to me, he's like, who is that? And I, I had to explain to him, oh, he's from Queen Sugar. And he's like, oh, okay. And then later, <laughs> and then later on, he leans over to me and he's like, who, who was that woman? Like, Dina. And I was like, that's Tiffany Haddish. She's like, what has she been in? And I was like, well, she was in, you know, Keanu last year, also the Carmichael show. He's mm-hmm. like, she's like, she's gorgeous. And, and she, she deserves an award for that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't even be mad at him. It's like I'm glad you recognize that because, like, yes. yeah, she she is. She she does deserve an award. She totally deserves an award. Like her yeah. timing, her like like her imi- her like, her imitations, her t- like basically almost every single aspect of comedy, storytelling, timing, like um, improvisation, impersonations. Like she just nailed it. She's physical. Like she's so. Oh, even just there was like one scene where like um, Mike Epps does a cameo where he, where he sells for absinthe, <laughs> absinthe, which leads to an amazing scene later on down the line. Amazing, like actually series of scenes later on. Yeah. And that part of the movie. But like um, uh, just watching her and Mike Epps go back and forth for, I don't know, 60 seconds was I was sitting there just like it just blissed out. Like Mike Epps maybe said four lines, six yeah. lines. And yeah. I was like, you're so good. And you're so good. <laughs> you're talking to each other. This is amazing. Yeah. That, I mean, well, let's let's talk a little bit about the cameos because there were because it was I, I think we said earlier it's set at Essence Fest, uh, which is held every year in New Orleans, like mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of, of black people uh, descend upon it. Although I've never been. I, Me either. And I'm like, I, I want to go. Although I, I've heard that it's mostly women. So I wonder if the movie's a little misleading in the number of really attractive men who are. <laughs> Lorenz Tate, like, like Kofi Sirabo and, and Lorenz Tate are going to be waiting for me. At right. Essence Fest. Yes. Um, but since it's at the Essence Fest, we get tons of cameos, both of musical artists and, mm-hmm. you know, actors as well. Iyanla. I was just about to say, and Iyanla. <laughs> she shows up. She does. Was, she was good at actually her little cameo. Yeah, I mean, she was playing herself. She so. was playing. I mean, playing yourself got to be the hardest gig, though. This it was for true. a non-actor? Yeah, yeah, this is very true. Um, we also had Diddy. Diddy. <laughs> so. And Mace and Faith. Uh, Mariah yeah. Carey shows up at one point. Although a lot of these cameos are strictly like musical moments. Yeah. Um, but I, that was another... To me, that was another, like, we know our audience. We are going mm-hmm. to give mm-hmm. these women 
black women in the audience what they want. We got Maxwell. Maxwell. Yes. (laughs) Neo. And of course, we have Lorenz Tate, Mm -hmm. who plays the role of their old college buddy, uh, who's now a musician with Neo, touring with Neo. And he's kind of the guy like waiting in the wings for for Ryan. I don't think it's a spoiler. I don't think so. Yeah. I thought the cameos were like, there were so many, but it worked. Like sometimes yeah. movies can get very weighted down by that. Yeah. But I felt like they all they all worked. Well, you know what? It kind of is like the like like Essence Fest, NABJ, National Association of Black Journalists Conference. Are you going? Um I am going in New Orleans. Which so are is we. basically yes. <laughs> it's literally Essence Fest for nerds this year. Yeah. And um <laughs> but like, yeah, uh things like that or like um uh Bayou Classic, Howard Homecoming, like there are certain like black events across like you know all types of different groups of people um where you can go and just see famous black people just mixing with the rest of us yeah and they don't feel uncomfortable or weird and like essence fest is totally one of those places i think that the from what i hear having never been i would love to go for a professional reason anybody (laughs) wants to send me i know (laughs) literally like putting out there in the universe (laughs) but essence fest is totally one of those places though where like you do have those moments where like you know like you're walking down the street and you're like, oh, okay. Like, I want to say one time, Eric, my co-host on The Nod, like, I think one time he was, like, walking down Georgia Avenue in D.C. and, like, Ike Turner drove past, like, six months before he died. It's just like, he's like, oh, that's Ike Turner, like, oh, in a Cadillac. Like, okay. Um, but, like, st- like weird stuff like that happens at, the- at all black events. There's something about, I think, being amongst, like, fam that causes black celebrities to sort of, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. relax. Tom Joyner's Cruise, another... Yet another Tom place. Tom Joyner's Cruise. Tom Joyner's Cruise. <laughs> another place I'd like to go professionally. Yeah. <laughs> it is true. It's like it's different. It's different from like your normal, again, having not been to any of these, these events. But I imagine it's very different from your normal festival, film mm-hmm. festival, where like you see these people walking down the street, but it's like they're usually surrounded by a bunch of their people, mm-hmm. whatever. They go to a party, but then they're immediately like in some roped off area. Mm-hmm. Whereas like. You know, this is they mingle. They it's like being like family. Being yeah. Home. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the the girlfriend aspect of this this whole because it, it was it was really sweet. And I think that one of the one of the things about it is the way in which it does does deal with both the drama and the funny parts. And mm-hmm. the big drama is, of course, Ryan and her cheating husband, but mm-hmm. also between Ryan and Sasha, who mm-hmm. it, you learn eventually that they had a fallout. They were supposed to be in business together mm-hmm. as journalists. And uh, I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I guess like Ryan took a job somewhere else. Yeah, I think she like she wanted to move her brand toward um, being associated with like her husband, like right. football player. Yes. And so I think she like decided to move in that direction as opposed to um, starting the first Black Huffington Post with Sasha, <laughs> which to me was was almost like a clever like 2012 nod to like what flavor could have been <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, i mean what did, what did you think of it like how does that how does this sort of um positioning of women before like your girlfriends before your men especially if your men are not if your man ain't shit yeah uh compare like how does this hold up to relationships we've seen in things we previously mentioned like you know insecure waiting to exhale especially which i feel like has a lot of the same sort of mm-hmm. dna going mm-hmm. on there um what do you think um that's a really good question i mean i think i see a lot of similarities i think one of the things though like 
in a way, I think the reason why all of these movies kind of work, even like including um, if you want to bring in Bridesmaids and The Hangovers, I think right. like raunchy friend like buddy comedies, like friend group comedies work well because in real life, it is all of the embarrassing, ridiculous, fucked up shit that you guys have done together that that binds you. And I think that like in Insecure, we see a little bit of that, right? That bonds Issa to Molly. But in Waiting to Exhale, you're sort of seeing these fully formed women. Do you know what I mean? Like dealing with like, I'm in my mid-30s. Like I, my mom wants me to get married. Like, right. though, like that's a totally, like they're in a different, um, it's just like a different shade of that. Like we're more seeing them in their everyday lives. We know that they had to have had some experiences like the ones in girls like in girls trip um that like probably cemented their friendship but it's cool to like i think like you still get a lot of the same like girlfriends sisterhood like elements but also like you get to see them like how much how much they let their guard down around each other when fueled by alcohol and absinthe <laughs> and like sexy men and like new orleans heat and like hurricanes okay so really quick uh, favorite musical moment from Girl Strip. Wow. There were, there were a moment. lot. <laughs> Does it have to be a performance? No, 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 no. Just like, because um, there was... The fight scene. The fight dance scene was okay. the shit. That was going to be mine too. <laughs> that was the shit. Well, also the girl who played the villain, like the the girl who... The um, Instagram Yeah, the model. Instagram model. She went to Howard. She was my year. She oh. was in, yeah, she was like in the school communications with me. I wasn't that close with her, but like I knew her. We were friendly. It's funny because she's like, <laughs> she's so nice. Like she was so, so sweet. And it was like funny because like my friend and I, we were watching and we were like, like, yo, is that Deborah? Like, is that Deborah? Like, she's such a bitch in this movie. She, she was, it was so cute. It was so cute though to see her. Like, like it made it so real for me. Where I'm like, okay, yeah, you're in the scenes with the, like with Queen Latifah and you know, and like uh, Jada Pickett Smith and like all these people. But like the dance scene for me is when I was like, yo, it was like, so good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is like my one of my possibly my favorite scene in the movie. It reminded me, like, also like the whole thing kind of reminds you of Set It Off. Well, there, there's the nod to Set It Off yes. at the beginning, which is just like, like perfect, perfect. Yes, and then like. And then I was just like also like seeing this woman that like I went to school with and I was just like, yo, you made it. Like, <laughs> yes, you were in the movie, but I'm like, no, you are with them when they are dancing in the wigs and they just reference set it off. Like you, this is like, it's black excellence. Yes. It's black excellence. What about you? <sighs> that was my favorite scene. Uh, you, you, you said, you said it all without me knowing who she was, but like every everything about that that moment and that was another thing i think part of it was just like when is the last time i've seen like a a really goofy dance off like that yes. in a movie with like all about black women yes. like that doesn't happen yes. like and none of them were like really like good dancers per no. se it was, oh, like, see, very... i have so, I'm, I'm like i maybe because i can't dance i was looking at that well you can dance so you're a ringer <laughs> but like, i kind of can't dance so i was looking at that and i was like yo i'm like they're doing well, a lot better than i probably by will good be. dancers i don't mean they're not it's not like you got served dancing no. it's like you know they, they they were getting down like they were at a cookout yes and that was yes. like and i was just like that's I loved how like normal it looked. It looked normal. It did. I was. It felt like a routine that was within grasp for me. I was like, I'm gonna learn this routine. I'm gonna make my flossy posse learn it. And the fact they had matching the flossy posse necklaces. Yes. When they were dancing, so cute, so cute. Well, we could obviously go on and on and on and Please. on. And Marilyn's probably like, wrap it up. I have so much editing to do. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much. Thank Brittany. you for having me. This has been a god dream. Yes, it's so awesome to have you on. Everyone, check out the nod. Uh, where can folks find you on Twitter? Um, you can find me on Twitter at bm loose l u s e. You can. That's where you can find me pretty much anywhere. Sweet. Yeah, but don't look for me everywhere. But Twitter is okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
And everyone should just go check out Girls Trip for sure. Yes. Midnight Texas, which premiered earlier this week on NBC, is a new supernatural thriller about a town made up of humans and witches, vampires, and psychics alike, who, for the most part, coexist peacefully. Trouble comes along, though, when a woman is found murdered and the police descend upon midnight, threatening the safe haven these misfits and outcasts have built. Showrunner Monica Owusu-Breen is no stranger to this type of world, having worked on everything from Charmed to Alias to Lost. She popped into the studio recently to discuss her love of sci-fi and fantasy, what it's like being the only woman of color in a writer's room, and spilled some tea on a problematic Charmed storyline. Check it out. Well, here in our Brooklyn studios today, it's a pleasure to have Monica Wusu-Breen on. She is the creator of the new show, Midnight Texas. It's great to have you on. Oh, my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So first, before we even get into you know, the supernatural and uh-huh. all of these things that, that Midnight Texas is, is is dealing with. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your childhood and your background, because oh. I think it comes, it, it, there are definitely aspects of it that come out in your work and dealing with out, like being an outsider mm-hmm. and whatnot. So you are uh, Ghanaian and also Spanish. Spanish. Yes. My right. father's from Ghana. Um, from Kumasi, which interestingly enough, one of our actors' families also comes from Peter Mensa. So oh, tiny yeah. world. Um, but and my mom is from a tiny town in Spain, and I lived there until I was about seven, um, which was an interesting experience and a wonderful experience. But a town of seven thousand people oh, wow. in rural Spain. And in Franco's rural Spain, mm-hmm. um, which is a dictatorship. So it was, I have very weird and interesting memories from that time. And then we moved to Coney Island, Brooklyn. Wow. And that was huge as a shift, but also amazing. And um, so I lived in Brooklyn up until college. I went to Brown. And then I graduated. And I did production coordinating on music videos for a while. Which was really That's, not yeah. my thing. Like I realized at that moment, it's like, okay, this this is not creatively what I want to be doing. So I went back to school to study media mm-hmm. and teach it. And then I wanted to create stuff too. And then luckily enough, my um, a friend from grad school said to me, we were both sort of procrastinating on our dissertations. And she said, well, why don't we try writing a script? And the rest is history. <laughs> Can we back up a bit and can just briefly, what was it like in like growing up in Spain um, for those first few years of your life? And were you did were there other people who looked like you? No, were there other families? No. Yeah, my my mother married my father, who's African, and he she she described she used to say she passed away a few years ago, but she used to say I loved Nat King Cole, and when I saw your dad. <gasps> <laughs> I think he might have been the first black man she ever saw. Oh, wow. <laughs> was it, did, how did they meet? Was it well, like... the, she was in London and he was in London studying. Okay. And so a vacation that just, you know, Turned kept into, going. Yeah. A life change. And so, no, it was interesting because, well, the first thing was my family in Spain was very successful in a town that was very poor. Mm. So there was a very big difference between lives so it was like our family had a tv other families didn't our family had indoor plumbing other families didn't um 
it also was very like the milkman would come with these giant barrels of milk That's so and you'd, quaint. you'd you'd pour it out and then you'd boil it to get to pasteurize it so you get this big thick cream on the top which my mom loved i thought it was disgusting and um so it was like living in a different time and when i think about it now it's peculiar because it's like a different era mm-hmm. a different culture yeah. a different appearance I, everyone knew who i was because i was the only dark skinned child and everyone knew i was Juan Machuca's granddaughter mm-hmm. and that's how you knew me so it was a really like i think about it a lot now because I feel like I lived at a time where you boiled your milk, and I lived with <laughs> a time with the internet, and it's very odd. Yeah. Um, it was also interesting to be in a place where you didn't, where I've noticed my parents didn't feel comfortable talking about everything, mm. where my father would be stopped by the Guardia Civil. So it was also like the dictatorness of it all felt, even as a child, felt very present. Mm. I think about that a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Do you think that because of that, that's that's sort of opened you to possibilities of, of dealing with these issues within your work in a way that someone else might not have? Um, I mean, I, I see some similarities between your childhood and Midnight, yeah. Texas, <laughs> where you have... I mean, there's a difference, I think, because these are people who have been sort of outcast right. from where they, wherever they were before. They have a history that they're coming, right. that they're leaving. Right. But it is like, it is a small town that is very accepting yes. of the the humans who live there, yes. are very accepting of the quote-unquote freaks and, and weird <laughs> uh, vampires yes. and assassins and all <laughs> that who live there. Um, so do you think that that sort of informs your perspective on these characters? For sure. I mean, when I read the books, one of the things that intrigued me was this idealized version of a small town. And it wasn't idealized the way we can sometimes idealize that it's like everyone's the same and has the same. No, it's a very diverse town. Right. But it also is very accepting. And my memories, which, you know, I mean, you have to think back to, like, I'm not 100% sure they're accurate childhood memories, but they're my memories. So I'll live with it. I always felt like weirdness was accepted in this little town. Mm -hmm. And it was because you knew people's histories. Mm -hmm. You knew their struggles. You knew what they dealt with with their mom, and you knew what they dealt with with their kids. And there there was an empathy for people. Mm -hmm. So it's like we had a family friend whose daughter was a schizophrenic, and she would wander the town, and you'd always find her in your house. And no one got scared. Everyone was like, oh, call, call Joaquin, pick him up. Yeah. Like, it was just, <laughs> it, there was a kind of love mm-hmm. and, it, and a kind of, like, we're all in it together because we're all in a small town. Yeah. And that's all we have. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, my idealized version of my childhood, which is probably not as accurate as I want it to be, but I'll live with it. Yeah. It definitely, like, attracted me to Midnight. Yeah. Well, there's a line that the the dead grandmother character... Mm-hmm. Is she dead or is she a ghost? No, nah, she's a ghost. Okay. She is dead. <laughs> she's both. Okay. So the the lead, the sort of um, our entry point into Midnight Texas is Manfred. Yes. And he's a... Um, what is it, a psychic? Psychic medium. Psychic I think medium. medium is the more accurate term because he sees the dead. Right. The dead. So, like, his character has a dead grandmother who is her ghost sort of guides him Mm -hmm. and has guided him to midnight to begin with um and she says at one point like you don't have to worry about be like pretending to be normal Mm -hmm. let your freak flag fly and i just thought that was just a great 
it, it sort of encapsulated what Midnight is trying to Completely. do in terms of, like you said, creating this idyllic but not perfect, um, like perspective of of a a town that could have all these different people of different races of different weird qualities and mm-hmm. it, it kind of reminded me of the x-men in a way yes yeah no, like, yeah completely yeah yeah just like and different. lots of other but like the x-men especially no and i i think for me that's also what attracted me to this project it's like charlene's book she created a diverse tiny town in the middle of texas mm-hmm. and it has all the crazy bells and whistles of a supernatural show, and that's fun. But it also has this kind heart in the middle of it, which mm-hmm. posits that all these really different people who have really different points of view. I mean, our witch and our assassin could not be two more different women. And I'm not sure our witch really loves what the assassin does. Mm-hmm. Or really thinks it's right. And that's Fiji. Fiji. Right. But Fiji also knows Olivia is a good neighbor, mm-hmm. a good friend, talks to her. When they pass, there might be judgment. But for now, this is a neighbor. Yeah. And they have a vested interest in living in peace in this town. And so there's something for me that feels really idyllic. Yeah. It, you know? Yeah. Like I liked when I was finished the books, I was like, oh, I don't want to be back. I want to <laughs> go back to midnight. So for me, there's something lovely about living in midnight. I mean, obviously, Charlene's books were published long before now and yes. the times we're living in. Yes. But while you were, you know, creating this world for TV, did you think at all about the sort of political implica- implications of what the show means in these times? Was that anything that factored into choices yes. you made? Well, I mean, for me, my world is an interracial world. Mm. My world has people of different cultures and backgrounds. Like, I found my little tribe in New York, and then I found it again in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. it's diverse. And so for me, very much, like, it reflects a world that I live in. But in a in a political environment like this, it does reflect a different way of thinking about what it means to be American. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, and again, like this was written before current politics. We shot the pilot before, you know. Everything went everything. to shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it was for me... It was a way of saying, look, America, because the other thing about my childhood is I grew up in a place in Spain where everyone looked the same but me. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to New York and I was like, wow, Cubans and African-Americans and Jamaicans and white people and Italian and Polish. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is America. This is the coolest place because everyone's different. Mm-hmm. And there's not just Spanish food. There's Spanish food, and Italian food and this and that. And so for me, America's always been diverse. Like, that was my experience of moving to America. This is a land where everyone can be here and live together and be different but the same. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, yeah, completely, that's midnight. Yeah. And so, and I have to say, it was interesting because there are things that, in Charlene's book, one of the big um, adversaries are this biker gang. A white supremacist biker gang. Yes, the Sons of Lucifer. Sons of Lucifer. Yeah. And when we were first doing it, I was like, oh, that's some sort of pulpy throwback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And now it's timely. (laughs) Yes. And I would have preferred it be a pulpy throwback, to be honest with you, because it's not as if this was intended to be fun, not um, sort of a a political statement. Mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, I mean, look, it's um, I'm willing to stand by the politics of diversity. I'm willing to stand by the politics of respecting your neighbor and Mm -hmm. having a vested interest in the community that you all live in and that you all share in. Um, So I'm happy to put that out there in the world, you know, but I did find that after the election, I wanted to write more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if you talk to our actors, there was this sort of like, we're in midnight. Let's just be in midnight. Mm -hmm. Let's forget the rest of the world and let's be in midnight. Yeah. Um, Which I think we all had a massive like sort of moment of like, oh, snap. Um, when the show ended and we weren't in Midnight anymore and then we had to read newspapers. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's, I get that sense a lot from Midnight that there is a, even though there's this threat of the white supremacy, Mm -hmm. but also just like of the unknown and and the police as well play a role um, of being like the, the, you know, the town feels now that the the police are kind of invading their space <laughs> because of this murder that's happened. It's like, oh, what are we going to do? Um, but like there is still that underlying current of like, well, we have each other's backs. Yes. We'll, we'll look out for each other. And there's a hopefulness to that. Yeah. That I think, you know, gosh, I wish I had a lamb in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, can we actually talk about lamb? Because lamb, I know, in the book was is written as like a um he was written as a white character, uh-huh. yes. and here he is played by a black, as you mentioned yes. earlier, a Ghanaian actor. Uh-huh. Um, and Fiji also is yes. uh, the witch. She uh-huh. is played by a woman of color. Yes. What, if anything, like how did casting come out in that in that sense? And what adjustments, if any, did right. you make to the characters for the screen? Well, I for sure made adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, casting the show was super challenging. And I think part of it is that this these roles aren't very traditionally heroic nor villainous. Right. And so we had and then we kind of decided early on, let's open it up. Let's just read all types, except for a couple of characters who for other reasons had to be a certain race. Mm-hmm. And um and well with Peter, we went through a lot of different actors, some of which, you know, casting a show is an amazingly big process, too, because me, the director, the producers, the studio, the network, there's a lot of people and a lot of opinions. And so you have to find the person who you can, like, write for, who everyone else will approve. So basically, we ran it down to the wire. I was living in New Mexico. We were in pre-production. We didn't have a Manfred. We didn't have a Fiji. We didn't have a um, Manfred, thankfully, Francois got killed off of a blacklist. In a <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> no, last year. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can. And, um, so, so he became available and he was perfect. Mm. But then, you know, for me, Lem was calm. He was a man of wisdom. He needed to be someone who, when he walked into a room, people in what Texas would look at, mm-hmm. would turn. He had to be someone who you wouldn't immediately think, oh, he and Olivia are paired up. And so for me, that became more important than him being very pale, mm-hmm. as described in the book. And then Peter came in with this warmth and this wisdom, and he was funny. And I was just like, okay, he's lamb. Like, I just, I knew it. Mm-hmm. And Fiji, we were three days into shooting. We had not found anyone. We read people of all types, all body types, all skin colors, everyone. 
And then we get this tape from New York, and Parissa just embodied all these things I wanted out of Fiji, which is this light, this amazing strength that is sort of covered in vulnerability and innocence, Mm -hmm. but that somehow deep in there she can show these glimmers of, like, being super powerful. And she had all that. And so three days into casting, we finally found the last member. Mm -hmm. So... We didn't go out intending to cast um, African-Americans, yeah. but we also were open. Mm-hmm. And as for me, the spirit of the characters was more important than the outward. Mm-hmm. But then, once we cast them, then their backstories changed just based on who they were. I mean, out of all of the the work you've done, this is the first show that you've actually like created yourself yes. correctly. Yeah. So, is it safe to assume that this is like your most personal? Like you feel the most for sure. Attached? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this I is also can't... like probably one of your most. Uh, I hate the word diverse, inclusive. I guess cast no, that you no, worked it, with. No, it yeah. is, and I, I think by design. And yeah, no, it is. It, it definitely is a labor of love. That um, it's the most amazing experience I've had in Hollywood for sure. Like it was, it was blessed. And I think if you ask, it was strange because the actors all get along and everyone all got along and we're sort of stuck, not stuck, but we're in Albuquerque and we don't have family there. And like, and it was special. And I don't know if that'll trans, you know, I hope it translates to an audience, but yeah, for sure. It's the most personal and it feels the most reflective of like it's funny my husband looked at the cast like oh, I could tell you did this and I was like, <laughs> and I was like but it, it does it feels like because you know it's interesting someone asked me well were you were you trying to make couples interracial were you going for that and I was like well I'm in an interracial marriage and I'm my parents are in a like it doesn't feel like a statement it feels like a a way of like, it feels normal to mm-hmm. me, but it's interesting because other people feel it's a statement. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Sure. I mean, <laughs> I I, I, because you've worked so often in the supernatural sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. world as a, as a woman of color, mm-hmm. do you have those sort of expectations or have you had to face those expectations of, like, you, you shouldn't like you're not expected to write this kind of work you're expected to write more like black stuff or <laughs> not not white quote unquote white things um uh, yeah no i mean it's weird i i've been thinking a lot about this because i feel like as a writer I remember a show once where I was writing, an actor was yelling at me, and she, and, <laughs> and she said, you have no idea what it's like to be a 55-year-old woman. And I was like, I have no idea what it's like to be a spy or a witch or all the, like, I've never written myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, I, you hopefully will know what it's like to be a 55-year-old yeah, I know. Well, I, I'm, I'm hoping at some you point know. I will. But, like, I get what she was saying at that moment. Yeah. I was not. Mm-hmm. But I think that as a writer, you have to be willing to put yourself in any shoes. And I've had to do that in my career. I think what's lovely for me about Midnight is it's a worldview that I like and I can stand behind and I can advocate for. Like, I think every show has its DNA and every show has a theme. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's explicit or it's just sort of subtly there, every show is telling you something about the world. And to put Midnight out, 
in this world where a group of very different and very weird people can live peacefully together in their differences, that's important to me. Like, this is what I want to put out in the world. And that's pretty special to get that opportunity. And I've been working long enough to not take that for granted because it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. I I read an interview with you where you actually, you said that there have been times when you were working in other writers' rooms when you were just like, I'm out, I'm done. Like, when when are the times, like, what where is the line that you draw or have drawn in terms of, like, this isn't what I want to do with my work? Um, you know, it's interesting because I'll never, I wish I could say that I've said, oh, I won't tell this story. I generally, there are times where I've said, absolutely not, I can't mm-hmm. tell that story. But usually it's something really personal. Um, I also feel like in a writer's room, it ends up being... You sit in a room with the same group of people day in, day out, and just talk. Endlessly talk about story, about your life, about politics. Um, If it gets to the place where it's like hazy, where it's like they're racial jokes or gender jokes, and and people are laughing, and you're feeling like you have to either be laugh at yourself or then you're the quiet one who doesn't say anything, I'm not going to succeed there. I'm like I that's usually when I when I want out is when I realize there's no winning this. I'm not they don't want my voice and I can't change my voice to work in this room. I'm also, you know, I have kids, I have a husband. Like I can't be mocked, I can't be teased, I can't be hazed anymore. I'm like so those are the moments and frankly there are times where it's like this show's worldview sucks. Like I hate it. I don't get why it's happening. I don't get why people are acting this way. I don't like why they're acting. And that's also because, I mean, I also, yeah, there have been some writer's rooms <laughs> that have exhausted me. And I think that, you know, when I'm coming home and crying and saying, I hate my job, you need to find a new one because you're not going to succeed in that job either. Like, yeah. it's not as if that kind of suffering yields great storytelling. Right, right. Yeah. Well, at least you stuck with it, even though Oh yeah, it's, no, and I, I've I had a writing partner for the first ten years of my career, Allison, and it was great. I don't know if I would have lasted without a writing partner because we would go in the room and go, "What the fuck?" Like we we'd vent to each other, and mm-hmm. we'd be the voice of reason for each other, even if the other nine people in the room sucked. Yeah. We had each other, and I think that because otherwise it's very lonely, mm-hmm. and you're just by yourself, and you're the one voice who doesn't get the joke or doesn't like. That gets the joke and doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. And that's an awful way to work. Verilyn, do you want to ask your charmed question? <laughs> she had she had a she had a question about charm. Yeah. So um we have a segment on here um, called Pre Woke where <laughs> we talk Detail. about things that we loved as, you know, growing up and we really like nostalgic, have uh-huh. like all these feelings for it and charmed is definitely uh, cool. that for me. <laughs> But recently, uh, you know, in the gym, they always place on TNT. I don't know if you oh, know, yeah. but it's, it's always, it's always on. on TNT. It's always getting a check for $2 every few nice. months. <laughs> <laughs> like and so I was watching the episode and I was like, oh, my God, this is so white one. And then and then the cop, he ends up being this. He's black. He is the black character on the show and it's this weird like magical negro like he's just like sacrificing it all for these women and i don't understand why i'm just wondering (laughs) (laughs) 
aunt. <laughs> is that one of the moments you're talking about, about them not caring about your experiences in the writer's room, not to put anybody on the yeah, spot? Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Was he written as black or was he just cast that way? He was he I oh, don't know. I was it was before my time the casting. No, that was an interesting show and you know, I learned so much on that show and I met some great people. So that like just I'll say That's that the before. I got um, yeah. my caveat. Oh, yeah. But um there were ten of times and yeah, that show had a sort of it wasn't sensitive about some things. Um, I think it was. It tried to be female centric, which is great, but mm-hmm. at the exclusion of other things. And I'll, th- there was one moment. Okay, I'll tell this one story where there was a pitch in the room of the writers' room, and I have an autistic son, so I've, I'm dealing with a disability in my home. And the pitch was they the girl charms ones meet a, a man with Down syndrome. And they're also going to another realm or another universe or some dimension. And they realize at the end of the episode, there's no place for this Down syndrome man in our world. He'll never be accepted. So let's move him to the other dimension. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to say that as the parent of a disabled child, that is my nightmare. That there's no place on this earth that can accept my child. But if another dimension. And I was told, God, stop taking things so personally. What? <laughs> so that was the level of like sometimes. Uh. So that was one of those shows where I actively, I knew the parameters of storytelling, and mm-hmm. I didn't try and move past those parameters. And yeah. I think within those parameters, you could tell certain stories. But like you're saying that that other that character, I never wrote for. Like yeah, I didn't yeah. want to write for him because I understood this is what's expected of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, did that? Did that? That episode never happened. Right? Never happened. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. No. No. Maybe we have you to think. No. For that. Maybe because I was just like, and the thing, the thing that made me laugh. I, well, I do think part of the reason it never happened is I was like, you'll get a lot of hate mail. Yeah. Mm. You'll get a lot of hate mail. Yeah. So and I think that sort of you know put mm-hmm. sort of kibosh on it. But it was one of those moments where you articulate what you think is an obvious point, which is like you can't do that. And then you're met with like, oh, why you got to bring us down? I know. Buzzkill. <laughs> oh, it would have been such a great Representation. Story. It's too much. What are you talking about? It's so interesting to me when like the, the sort of it's a burden to represent as opposed to like telling stories. Yeah. Um, like that should just be seen as like another like creative challenge. Like, I mean, just don't know? tell the sad, the worst story of all. <laughs> like, just um, so sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what's great is I think I can't tell. Okay, I can't tell if TV's changing or I've just become really um, discriminating about the writers' rooms I go into. Mm. But I do feel like, like on Agents of Shield, those things would never like when you would say that bothers me because of this. The room would be like, oh, I didn't see that. Okay, let's rework the story. Right. And it was like a room that that writers' room is like perfection like Mm -hmm. that writer's room is diverse and fun and interesting and women and men like it just and it proves you can do that and the stories are better because of that too i think yeah Um, joss whedon's good at good he's so good at that he's so good at that and jed and marissa who run that show and marissa's asian and i think i think when it starts at the top Mm -hmm. there's nowhere it can't be what the the worst version of itself you know what i mean like sure. just by design it won't ever be that and yeah 
My final question for mm-hmm. you is, what is the last thing you saw on TV or in the movies that you weren't personally a part of, mm-hmm. where you felt as though you saw yourself on screen? You felt represented on screen. <laughs> um, okay, there's a, there's a cartoon that I watch with my son, okay. Steven Universe. <gasps> yeah. And that world makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. There's a love there and a willingness to sort of embrace difference and different kinds of unions mm-hmm. that I just, I, I like, it makes me cry. I listen to the soundtrack. Mm. It's ridiculous because it's a show, it's a cartoon, but I, like, for me. But it's a it's a cartoon that I, so many adults are. It's so beautiful huge fans and of, yeah. it's so lovely and I, I can't say enough of it, enough about it, and it just posits a worldview. Because I think, you know, being half Ghanaian and half Spanish, you're not going to ever find someone like you. You're not just, it's not going to happen. You're just, except my siblings. Yeah. Love them. <laughs> um, but so, and the, and Steven Universe has all these characters who are like either cookie cutters or they combine to be different. And then, I don't know. There's something about it that speaks to me deeply, and I want to talk about it in therapy because it, it moves me too much. <laughs> like It's like <laughs> I shouldn't be moved to tears all the time every time I listen to the soundtrack, but I am. That's great. I don't think we've had anyone say that. I think that's a first. Yay for, <laughs> for, new, for new representations oh, and recommendations. Everyone watch Steven Universe. It's delightful. Well, thank you so much, Monica. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And what nights are Midnight Texas running? Midnight Texas is on Monday nights at 10, starting July 24th. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. And that's all. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verilev Williams. Our social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. And as I mentioned earlier in our conversation about Girls Trip, I was on Pop Culture Happy Hour this week talking about, of course, Girls Trip, but also Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. So, You should definitely check it out. We'll put a link to both episodes in the show page. Also, you may have noticed that we've been promoing a few other Slate podcasts, and this week is no different. HBO's epic Game of Thrones is back, and Slate Plus is following every twist and turn of Season 7 with the return of our Game of Thrones TV Club podcast. Join June Thomas, Seth Stevenson, and Isaac Butler as they dissect every shocking power play for the Iron Throne, debate who will survive this relentless winter, and pick that week's worst person in Westeros. Listen now at slate.com slash Game of Thrones. And until next time.